Hello, welcome to episode 154 of Three Beers and a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Barry Neal. Barry, we're once again, as this has been for the last three months, we are self-isolating, we are away from each other. You've got a very nice umbrella in your hair. Um, <laughs> main point is we're not, we're not together, we're, we're away from each other and still continue to observe all the lockdown procedures that we are, we are told to, to observe. We are doing very well. Yes. How are you? I'm starting to... Pu- I'm very good. Though I'm starting to feel when it comes to me and you, I'm like the woman from Titanic, and you're Jack, and we're spending each other's lives further away from each other. <laughs> as long as the M of one was on a on a little boat in the middle of the North Atlantic and kicking all one off. But if, if, you want, <laughs> if you want to make sure I get a, a very expensive diamond necklace, I will, will take that. Because I could probably use that. Now. <laughs> um, this, this is going to be a short but sweet one because it's not really that much out this week again. Yes. Um, what have you been? Um, what, what, what are you drinking today? I am actually drinking a homemade mojito that I've just discovered. Uh, I've never had them before. I discovered that if you don't put fizzy juice in it, if you just have sparkling water, they become extremely healthy. Ah, okay. So is this because you you hear this on a podcast or you're in a book or did Stacey just want you to drink mojitos to, so you can so you're not on the beer anymore? No, I, what, what happened with this? I actually seen it on a. It was a kind of fitness YouTube thing. Like some guy was showing you what he like eats and all that through the course right. of a day. And then because it's like summertime, he was crack out the mojitos and he showed you like how to make it healthy. Instead of filling it full of fizzy juice, he puts in that uh, stavia stuff. It's right, like okay. the kind of sugar replacement. Right. And then also like uh, sparkling water, you know, white rum, some mint, some lemon. Fucking business. Absolute business. I get you like the drink of it. I get you get the straw in it. Is there any particular reason why you have to have the umbrella in it, or is that just required if you have them at people? Nah, that's just for a bit of flair. I didn't have that <laughs> yesterday, so I Do thought you... I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on this today, so I'll add a bit of flair. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm not drinking anything. I've, I've got um, adult business to take care of after this. It just sounds really boring, and it is. Um, so I'm, yes. I'm on the water today. Um, so yeah, we'll hopefully get... it goes well. Thank you very much. So, get into the, the movie chat. So, as always, the last three, three months has been all streaming services, and we'll continue with the streaming service look. Um, this week is all Netflix-based. Yes, all Netflix-based. Mm. Next week will be all Amazon-based, but this week is all Netflix-based. So, first film up is The Five Bloods. Did you watch this one? Yes, I did. You did? So, it's written by Spike Lee. So, Spike Lee is obviously Spike Lee. done many great things, including Black Klansman. Do the right thing, Inside Man, to name but a few. The man, the man knows how to direct a movie. He's, he's pretty decent. Um, the plot of this film is it's set now where a, where a bunch of ex-Vietnam veterans get together on the premise that they're going to go into the Vietnam jungle to rescue the body of one of their comrades who fell um, during a firefight. Um, but on top of that, they're also going to try and recover the gold that they all found while on one of their Vietnam tours. And the fires go into the jungle, find the body, find the gold, bring it back, make some money out of the gold. Yeah. So the four of them go along, along with the son of one of the other, of one of the, the guys as well. Um, so in the film, you get Delroy Lindo. He plays the sort of the main character of the film. You get Chadwick Boseman, plays the fallen soldier. You see him in flashbacks. Uh, you get Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Norm Lewis, make up the rest of the quartet. Uh, and you've also got Paul Walter Hauser, who turned up in Black Clansman. If you've seen Black Clansman, he plays a really idiotic KKK guy. And this is sort of the one who's going to fit in a dull face. But it always looks like he's sleeping. Um, and, and, <laughs> and he pops up in it as well. 
Um, I'm a huge Spike Lee fan. I love Spike Lee movies, so I was really excited for this one. And I've got to say, it mm-hmm. absolutely did not disappoint me. I thought it was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. Um, yeah, yeah. Him at his visual best. I loved the decision he made, which was really brave, not to use younger actors or use any sort of de-aging stuff. Mm. Basically, it signifies yes. time passing by the aspect ratio changing from like full screen to, to 16.9. So, so you realise that yeah. oh, this is the past. So they, they, they're all playing themselves. And the only young person amongst the group is Chadwick Boseman because he obviously he dies. Um, he's a person attractive fellow, so he remains young, whereas you've still got like six year old Delroy Lindo and I run about, but they're playing the younger versions of themselves. Um, so I love that part of it. What did you think of it? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I liked how it's a bit of like a different kind of take on a war movie. Yep. You know, usually the cat, a lot of cat war movies, World War Two's, Vietnam's, it's like even like the Gulf War, even it's like they're all very similar. They all go by the numbers, you know. Yeah. But this is a kind of a bit of a left turn and stuff, and I actually quite dug it. And like you're saying about the four by three aspect, yeah. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Instead of just like it's so just easier just to uh-huh. film it and then just bring in the yeah. panels rather than trying to de-age them and then just making it look a bit janky and a bit off. Yeah. So I I absolutely loved it. Um, it's a bit. I feel like that's what it's kind of like. See the scene uh, when they're in the nightclub and it's yeah. like the guys get a big like apocalypse now. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. banner. I feel kind of, like I've never personally been to Vietnam, but I feel like there's maybe bits of it that that's what it's kind of like. They all kind of like play like war movies and all that kind of mad yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there is a certain section of Vietnam, in fact, just from a tourist point of view, that, that sort of uses, uses that war to to get tourists to come to the city, to come mm. to Vietnam to actually to look over the war. And it's no different from, say, like Berlin that does that as well. Um, you know, take mm. from Berlin. Um, you know, obviously parts of Poland and Russia do similar things as well. But the war is, um, the war is part of the tourism industry to a great extent. Um, and yes. I think that one in Vietnam definitely is. It, it caters to both people, say, our age, who want to go and see what this is all about, and also people who were, you know, who actually fought in it, like American GIs. And they might go back mm-hmm. for whatever reason to see how the country is now, or indeed to, to sort of maybe remember something from the past. Um, thought the cast were all great in it. I thought the cast were phenomenal. Delroy Lindo in particular, I thought was great, and, it's, and he's not been on camera like properly for a long, long time. So seeing him back mm-hmm. was awesome. I loved seeing Delroy Lindo. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, I loved all the. I did. Sorry, you go. No, no. I was just going to say I thought he was actually going to go full. A crazy apocalypse now mad in the jungle. He yep. almost got there. He was almost close, but not quite. Close. You know, he's definitely, he's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely channeling all things. Um, you know, apocalypse now to get there. Marlon Brando. He's definitely channeling that energy. Um, mm. Like I said, but, I thought it was just, because there's. So you go on. Yeah, come on. Oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, I think uh, I was just get. Oh, I was just going to say that because um, there was like a couple of bits when he was walking in the jungle, and it was like. You didn't know if he was talking to somebody, yeah, until like pretty much it was the end of his um, like his kind of like speech, thing. and then you realized that he was actually just talking to himself in yeah. the middle of the jungle, yeah. you know. He is going absolutely crazy. It was good, it was convincing, you know, because you yeah. did uh, believe that somebody was there and he was talking to them, you know. Yeah. Um, I like that. I mean, it's, just quite, it's quite a simple story of like you know, them going into the jungle to find this stuff. But it takes enough mm. twists and turns, certainly in the third act, when you have a sort of 
um, it turned into a bit of a heist movie almost, where there's sort of like a bit of backstabbing, yeah. a bit of you know people trying to get one up and shift on people, people turning on people who you wouldn't expect to, and also the scene you know walking through a minefield, which was quite one of the most mm. terrifying things I've ever seen. So it, it is a quite I conventional will. film, but it's got some really nice twists and turns in it as well. I was sitting there like proper clinching, going, "Oh Jesus!" Like when yeah. they were walking about, I thought, "This is it. Somebody's getting it," and I yeah. was like, "Oh no!" Mm. You know. Um, <laughs> I thought visually it looked absolutely amazing. I love the stuff at the start. Like you said about the nightclub and the walk when the five guys are walking or the four guys are walking and they're dancing as they walk away from the DJ table. Mm. That looked so cool. It, was very, it just looked perfect Spike Lee. Um, yes, very cool but un- unrealistic because nobody moves out your way in a nightclub. No, true. <laughs> Although if Daryl Lindo came walking towards you in a nightclub, I would probably move out his way. He, he's a very imposing looking man. Um, mm. There is a lot of story in it, I would say. You know, there's, a, there's quite a lot of like, subplots in it that, that maybe could have trimmed down for time. Like, there's a story regarding one of the guys and his daughter that might, or well, his daughter to a Vietnamese woman that's in the film. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you don't really know how yeah. much that adds to the story. So there's, there's a few sort of strands, a bit like that, where you go, did it really need that? You could probably have trimmed them out. It is chunky. The chunky thing, it's been like two hours and like 30 odd minutes. So you can do one mm. could, could have trimmed it down a little bit. But in a way, I'm going to go, and I'm glad I didn't because I enjoyed spending time with every single one of those characters. I thought everyone was so rounded and they all went on a wee arc and they all were engaging. They're all funny. They're all, they all feel from. So it was, it was, to spend time with them was, was, was an enjoyable experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I liked that how they all seem to have like a really good chemistry. Yeah. Almost like you, I believe that I could actually envision these guys actually being in the Vietnam War yeah. as like uh, part of a, a team. Uh-huh. Like that's how good the chemistry was. It was very believable in that sense, the way uh-huh. how they all worked and they all kind of played played off each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was I, very believable. I liked it. It had that feeling when you first seen together of a friendship that they might I think you get a sense that they've not seen each other for a long time. Maybe not for as far back mm. as Vietnam, but definitely there's definitely gaps in between when they're seeing each other. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it, it has that thing when you do have, have friends who are so close and you're, and you're so bonded. Even if you don't see each other for five years and you meet up there, it instantly comes back. And they kind of had that feeling about them. It's friends who they've been through something together that they're continually going to have a friendship, even if they don't see each other. And it just whenever they meet together, it just comes back and you start the rolling, you know, straight off, which I thought was really good as well. I thought it was, I said chemistry between the all all four plus the sun, and it was excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, out of ten, right. would you give it? I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10 because nice. I did actually dig it. Yeah. And I do like war movies anyway, so it already gets a cheeky quick run out the gates for myself anyway. So, you know, what about yourself? It's a good war movie. It's, it's a good war movie. It's about war, it's about history as well. There's so much history in the film mm-hmm. as well when it's cutting to things that have happened and, you know, the cause of, you know, he's making a social commentary throughout the whole film as well. So there is a lot in the film as well. Um, I'd give it mm. eight and a half. I really dug it. I thought it was excellent. The only stipulation I have on it, I thought the running time was a little bit long. You could have lost a little mm. bit with some of the subplots, but other than that, I thought absolutely fantastic. Stop the top to bottom. Nice one. Nice one. Nice one. So we'd recommend The Five Bloods. On to the next film that's on Netflix, The Last Days of American Crime. Did you watch this one? I did so. Very good. Uh, I watched it last night, and um, I have I have, I have issues with this film. So, directed by well, Olivier I- Meg. Megaton, who directed uh-huh. Taken 2, Taken 3, and Colum- Columbiana, and Women's Only Saldara right. years ago. 
Um, the plot of this film is very convoluted in the fact that the American government are going to enact a signal that will beam out across America that will essentially stop anyone from committing a crime before they do it. It'll, if you try and commit a crime, your brain will just basically shut down and you won't be able to do it. So a bunch of gangsters deciding they have one big massive last score to steal all this money so that when it does happen, they're all set for life and they want to escape to Canada uh, with all the money. Um, in the film, you get Edgar Ramirez, Michael Pitt, uh, Anna Brewster plays the, um, the, the gangster's mall, Shalco Copley and Patrick Bergen. Um, before I begin on this one, what did you think of this one? Well, I'm a little bit like yourself. I've got issues with it. Um, I did notice at the start, it's a graphic novel. So my first question to you is, do you have this as a graphic novel? No, I do not. Right, okay. That's, that makes life a hundred times easier. Um, <laughs> because, to be honest, we can only now go by what the film is presented to us. Not, we don't have any like background to it. Yes. Right? I found this film just very janky, and it just seemed like they had filmed a whole bunch of like scenes, and they were trying their best to stitch it together and try and make a movie out of it. Yes. And uh, for the running time at two hours thirty, that's minimum thirty minutes too fucking long. It's uh, it could easily have been trimmed down to like ninety minutes and get kept the pace going because. I, I clocked the timer. It was well over an hour before anything significant really happened. You're an hour and ten minutes after the heist thing happens. An hour and ten before the heist yeah. part happens. Like, this is a fucking. This is a heist movie that takes over half the running time before the major plot actually kicks in. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're. I'm glad we're on the same page yeah. with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I was watching it uh, last night, no, the night before. I had a horrible feeling that I was going to come on and then you'd be like, I fucking loved it. And I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> no. But no, what, what about yourself? Dude, I honestly thought this film was an absolute shambolic mess from start to finish. Mm. It's one of the yeah. few films, because normally if, 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 if a film's out and it's bad, I'll always say something like, you be you, if you want to go and see it, go and see it, you might like it, who knows. This is a film where yeah. I will actively pursue people to tell them not to watch this piece of shit. I thought it was absolutely yeah. fucking abysmal. Um, 149 minutes of this. Mm. Now that's roughly the same running time as the Bloods, the, the Five Bloods. And you look at how they used the running time in each film. And yeah. It, you know, the Five Bloods, it moves straight into it and it gets off and it's doing stuff. This film, like I said, an hour and 10 minutes before anything really fucking happens. I know. And, and it was it was so close. See if it wasn't for the fact that I was watching it for this, I yep. would have switched it off. Because I was, I was actually just like, I was starting to drift at like the hour mark because I just lost interest. In, I had it's so broken up and it doesn't flow at all. It's like they don't really kind of explain anything either within that first hour. They're well, still see, trying to piece it together. This is something that annoyed me. They do explain stuff, but the problem is the soundtrack is pounding for the whole fucking film all the way through. Uh, anyone, anyone has any anyone has any dialogue? You've still got this fucking raucous sounding, like sort of techno soundtrack thing pounding away in the background, which means you cannot hear. Well, that's what I was going to I was going to say that. It's like I did find the dialogue really quiet, and then yeah. when so I pure turned up the TV, and then when it clicked over, and the house actually started to go down. Fucking suddenly my ears were bleeding. Oh. I'm like, who's doing the volume mix on this? Aye. The sound mixing was atrocious in this film, and also just a director, yeah. a director, and a music supervisor. 
when people are, and this is not this is not the only thing does, there's a lot of films do this. When people are talking doing dialogues that might be prevalent to the plot, you don't need to have a fucking pounding soundtrack over the top of it because some of the stuff they might say might be important to what I'm actually going to be watching, you know, to understand how yes. the plot has been moved forward. Um I do thought you, some of the actors Do you think that Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, do you think that Michael Pitt was um, trying to be a second-class joker? Yes. He had that kind of mod... Uh, yeah, that kind of... Who's the fella that didn't... Not the last Joker movie. Who the, who's the one that done it in um, uh, Suicide Squad? Uh, Jared... Something kind of reason. Um, he's in, yeah, him. Yeah. I felt, I felt like he was trying to be like a second... Like a sloppy second Suicide Squad Joker. I mean, it's weird. Michael Pitt was at one point to be the next big thing. He was, he was like, oh, right. to be the next big actor, like sort of like the breakthrough. Jared Leto is a man's name. I can't remember his name there. Yeah. Um, and he sort of, he done. Oh, uh, shit. He's in Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire was a thing. He was, in. he was also in Last Days when he plays Kurt Cobain. He was in one called The Dreamers, which was a big kind of indie hit, um, French indie mm-hmm. hit back in the sort of early 2000s. And he's going to be the next big thing. And now, if you look at his career since Boardwalk Empire, essentially, it's a lot of really average films. It's very, you know, straight yeah, yeah. DVDs and all that kind of stuff. So he's definitely fallen. Um, Edgar Ramirez basically spent the entire film walking around thinking he was like sort of a Venezuelan version of Gerard Butler. Didn't really do anything. He sort of <laughs> stood and sort of looked Gerard Butler-like. Anna Brewster, the main <laughs> woman in the film, doesn't do anything at all in the film. She just sort of wears yeah. progressively less and less clothing and... Is put in situations where guys are likely to rape her, which you know that's not that's a that's a, it's a, it's a very whenever a man was talking to her, you felt there's always like I'm, I, geez, there's always a very rapey vibe towards everything that was happening in it. It really felt, particularly in the Me Too area, particularly in any era, it felt very tone deaf to what was going on. Um, and so it's a bit, yes, 100%. You know, Cheryl Charalto Copley, who I like as an actor, I think he's done some really funny stuff, but he's sort of he's now been reduced to this sort of shit. He doesn't do his mm. role is completely pointless. He's he's a cop in the film. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a completely superfluous role. We don't need it. Is you could exactly. It's like when he gets put back on the beat and he goes out. It's like why are you even doing this? It's like it's like under twenty four hours till that thing kicks in. So yeah. why are you driving about trying to find crime? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And they don't explain. It. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the acting was atrocious. Like, see the scene when it's like when one of them goes to see the father. Yes, this that scene between them, I thought it was one of the worst. But it was so stilted. It was like soap opera level acting. And it's like it was so yeah. bad. It felt like oh my god. Like are these are, did they meet like five minutes before the, the shot the film, and just just said the lines and that was it. They don't actually have any sort of. There's no sort of chemistry at all between anyone on screen at that point. I know and. They didn't even really like. They never even really explained it either. Apart from they mentioned that his dad was a, a kind of like a bigger gangster, but uh, it's like they don't really explain. Like they don't even give you any sort of like flashbacks or nothing to his like family. So when he rocks up to this house, you're just a bit like, okay, like you don't really care for this whole entire bit. You know, apart from this is how they. The film's two and a half hours long. We cannot afford flashbacks at this point in time. We don't want to add any more onto running time of this fucking thing. <laughs> I'm sure they could have like sacrificed a few other scenes and gave us a lot. bit of like, <laughs> um, uh, like, also, like I said, they could they could easily shave off an hour actually. Let's oh, be yeah. honest and get it 
90 minutes and get it fucking moving, you know? Right. If it's done by the person that's done taking. Taking two, taking two and three, not taking one, taking take two and three. Um, ah, okay. Which is as well, like an hour into the film, like you sort of, an hour and ten minutes in the film, you start getting a bit of traction, like, oh, this is when the film starts building up. It has like about five minutes of movement and then suddenly it, it gets bogged down again. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, mm. What is happening with this? Like, just such shoddy, poor storytelling from start to finish. Um, ah. And I really, like, much myself, if it wasn't fact I was watching it for the podcast and we had to talk about it today, mm. I would have been I would have been tuned out and turned off. It was, I thought it was an absolutely abomination of a film. Yeah, yeah. Out of ten. Out of ten. Oh, my God. I'm fucking lowballing this. I'm giving it three. I'm giving it a one. <laughs> I was just being generous. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> utter, utter shit. Like, honestly. And it's in a, it's a list of films I feel like I actively will tell people to avoid. And if someone says they yeah. like this film, it makes me feel <laughs> differently, you know? So sometimes you go, See, if you, you like a certain film, I'm like, okay, you like that film, I don't like it. But if you like, there's a list of about 10 films, if you like these films, then mm. I, I do judge you in a different way. You know, I'm looking at you like, no, nah, I don't think we're going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I will send you the list yeah. you, if you like any of them. And if you do like some of them, don't tell me, because <laughs> it will make a question the entire friendship. Uh, to be honest, it's got to be a pretty bad movie to make the list for you, you know. You are a gentleman who will sit through bad movies. Oh yeah, you know. And also, there can be a bad film that I can that I have, I can find enjoyment in it. Like you know, something like Van Helsing, right? It is atrocious, but I find a real mm. joy in that. That's what I say. Like I Frankenstein. Um, yeah. Well, even like Jaws three and Jaws four, they're virtually terrible, but I find something enjoyable about them. This I found nothing enjoyable. It was because it's it's got delusions of being this grand film, and so sort of, and it's like you've not even done the basics right. And that's what makes it really awful to me. And it just felt lazy as much as anything else and just bloated as well. Like, even at the end of the driveway in yeah. the fucking truck, it felt like it cut to, like, four different driveway scenes. You're going, just end this thing. Just end it. End it. Put me out of misery. I know. So, I know. It was such a, it was such a cheesy cop-out ending as well. I was about yeah. like, for God's sake. Aye. Yeah. So, what we're saying yeah. is, do not watch. <laughs> or watch it if you wish. But the warning is out there now. The last day of American Crime is not very good. But if you want to watch it, you be you. But I would actively pursue you not to watch this film. Right. Right. So, last one. Last thing, TV series. It's on Netflix. It's the fourth season, which is a bit odd for us to, to watch up to um, review it when we're already, we're already four seasons in. But we are fans of the first three seasons, and that is F is for Family, um, created mm. by Bill Burr, the comedian and actor. And Michael Price, who is a, I think, a director and writer on The Simpsons for a, a good period of time, so they have worked together. Um, so this is essentially it's about a working class family in Long Island. The central character of Frank is very angry with the world because his life has not certainly turned out the way he wants it to, and he's now living in suburban hell, trying to basically make his life meaningful in some way, make it worthwhile, and basically just survive. Um, it's a cartoon. Um, and that's it, really essentially. This is the fourth season of that, and it's you've been watching the life unfold over the past four seasons. He's got three children? Yeah. Three with one of four pounds yeah. away, isn't it? Yeah. He's got two young kids, yes. one teenager, a baby on the way, a wife, some some would say wacky neighbours, nothing too wacky, but there's some kind of out there neighbours. Um Set, set in the 1980s, isn't it? 80s, yeah. 70s, 80s, isn't it? Yeah. Aye, uh, 70s. Yeah, yeah. 70s. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And that's it. It's essentially just, it's just this guy trying to like sort of adapt to life or survive life, essentially. It's sort of <laughs> almost, I would say, King of the Hilly in many ways. Yes. Yeah, kind of along those lines. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the films, yeah, yeah. And, and you've got Bill Burr plays Frank, you've got Laura Dern plays his wife, Sam Rockwell plays the crazy neighbour doing a very, very good Matthew McConaughey impression. Um, <laughs> Michael Richardson turned up in it as well. So we'll put it out there. Me and you are both fans of this show. You're a big fan of Bill Burr as well. Um, yes. I enjoyed the first three seasons. I thought these first three seasons were excellent, very funny, very enjoyable, um, really solid storytelling. Um, I think it's been overshadowed this show a little bit by Bojack Horseman. I think that's sort of taken the, the, the plaudits from Netflix's um, animated wing. I think this is, I think that, I don't really mind that as much. I kind of like the fact that this is almost like a slightly hidden gem mm. within like the world of Netflix. It's like if you can because like you've also got Rick and Morty on Netflix as yep. well. So you've got Bojack Horseman, which is theirs, and then you've got Rick and Morty. That's two powerhouses, and then yeah. you get this one just kind of bobbing along, you know, and it's enjoyable. It's so good. Everyone that I know that watches it loves this show, yeah. and it's, you know, it does help the fact that I personally am a big fan of Bill Burr, yeah. but, um, but just I love the fact that also this season as well, it just hits the ground running where the third one left off. There's yeah. no real, like, kind of building up again, and I really like what they did with um, Throughout the course of the season, I like the storyline they've done with his uh, oldest son yeah. and the girl. You know, yeah. I thought that was like a nice twist on things rather than just him traipsing through the same kind of stuff. Because I found, I found by the third season it was starting to get a bit too steamy with him because he was always kind of doing the same kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a big point. This show. I've not watched, I've only watched eight out of ten so far. I've not finished the season. I've looked through it and watched it. I just couldn't get to the last two. But I think that's a big Okay. Difference, not a big difference, but it's definitely something they've had to do because season one was excellent, season two was very good, season three, and much of yourself. The story of Frank was interesting, but the point of Frank was he was just angry, and mm-hmm. that story can only really go so far. He's angry and bitter about what life has dealt him and what life can offer him, you know, and he's, he's yeah. shitty about it. You need to be able to sort of branch off from that a little bit. So, this season, so far, you get this, um, the wife character, Laura Dell, she becomes a bigger role in it, she sort of has her own plotline mm-hmm. story. Um, you get a little bit less of Sam Rockwell's character, the, the neighbour. He sort of fades a little bit in the background, I noticed, compared to he was sort of more the comic relief in the first two seasons. He's in it a little bit less in this, I, I, I thought. Yeah. I got. A, I kind of just got a feeling that, yeah, once again, by the kind of third season, they had kind of ran its course with yeah. that kind of character. You know, at least give him a season off, give him, you, you know, a bit of screen time, but for the most part, the story is not driven round about him. And then yeah. ultimately, with that season, as you discover, uh, Frank's actual dad turns up. Yeah. So that kind of adds a nice kind of change of pace and a nice dynamic to it as well. And you start kind of starting to see where all this like pent up right. angles came from. Because right. so, like the Sam Rockwell character, the neighbour, he's sort of he's sort of almost the, the opposite of Frank. He's actually set up as like sort of this keep living free, kind of happy, loving life, doing drugs, drinking, women, everything. He loves it. The only kind of thing I've got in this, so he set up as sort of like the anti, like sort of opposite, the mirror opposite of Frank. Um, but in this, mm. in this season, he's became sort of almost a bit of a joke as well because he's became old a little bit to an extent and he sort of, he's been felt a little bit left behind. So when he becomes kind of yes. grouchy and angry about the world and, and sort of upset that he doesn't really know his place in it, he sort of fills the same role as Frank. So you, don't really, you don't really need the Frank. You, know, you, need one, you don't need both, you need one or the other. He sort of drifts away. Mm. 
Oh, the other neighbours as well don't quite, quite much about the playing field. They sort of fall away as well and you sort of have little kind of moments within it. And the bigger part of the story is, number one, his dad um, and also the son, played by... Oh, who's the play the son? It's... Um, uh, Justin Long. Justin Long. His role becomes much bigger. He has a much more rounded... He, again, for the first couple of seasons, was just an angry teenager who's a bit of an idiot. They had to try and build mm. upon that character, which I think they've done really well. They do something with... Mm. They do a whole episode, essentially, without Frank in it, when it's um, the one with his... Um, the guy he works with. Oh, running, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's running for the council um, seat. How... How good was that intro? Great intro, amazing intro. Um, so they, they <laughs> run a whole episode. So they, 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 I think what's really smart about them is they have found, they've figured out that the, the Frank character has not quite ran its course, but it needs a bit more support. And the same way The Simpsons, if you look at the first season of The Simpsons, it was all very much about you know The Simpsons family. But after the three or four seasons, they realised we can't just do something with this family. We need to be able to bring in other characters around it and make them bigger and give them more roles. Family Guy does the same, you know, Family Guy is very much all about the, the family at first, and then eventually have to bring in more titles to try and bulk it up, to try and give it something to watch. Um, and that's what this one does yes. really well. Um, it is, like you said, consistently funny as well. It is, is it very much Bill Burr's humour? I've only listened to a few things with Bill Burr. Is, is it very much in his wheelhouse? Yes. Uh, it was always, it was always loosely discussed in the beginning of this show that this show was very loosely but hitting some marks about Bill's uh, life so right. Bill would have been like Kevin and then right. it was his dad that he seen constantly being angry at the world you know yeah. and I kind of shitty dead end job going nowhere you know kids screaming and moaning right. <laughs> you know just rinse and repeat 24 right. 7 you know so it's semi-autobiographical essentially yeah not, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I don't exist- know what it's like now but at least in the first season, he was hitting marks where that was like maybe part of his childhood that he yeah. was like reminiscing about. Oh, um, and like consistently funny, but the heart and the pathos are still there. And I think ultimately, see when I watch it, it's quite a sad show. Everyone in it, it seems really sad. Mm. You know, no one's happy. You know, Frank's yeah. obviously sad. His wife is mm. she's I wouldn't say suicidal, but she's definitely a match. She's so beaten down now, and she's like so sort of, she just destroyed by life essentially and you, you feel like if this was like set 20 or 30 years later she would be divorcing them there's no way she was sticking around with them mm. it's yeah, only yeah. because she and it's the 70s she can't really get a divorce essentially you know it wasn't really the done thing um mm. the kids all seem it's that some of the kids at the age where it's you know that the actions of frank are going to imprint on the kids so you feel nothing but sadness for them and it just seems like yeah it's, it's, i mean i think it's I think that's the point of the show, but it just feels everyone just feels really sad. And, I think, and it's a funny <laughs> show at times, it's definitely got a lot of heart to it as well, but there's a real sadness yeah. about it. It runs through the whole, every episode and throughout the four seasons, just a real sadness to every character in it for me. Mm, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I think that's maybe what makes it so relatable and enjoyable. Yeah. There's always bits in it that you do take and go, you know what, well, my life is a wee bit like that, you know? Then you maybe, go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't explode at that. It's not really worth it. Right, and maybe maybe recognising the parts of your own, maybe I've recognised parts of my own dad or something in the Frank character, you know, like, you know, and mm. maybe see elements of people you know in the characters. And I think that's what, what the best sort of art does. It gets you to relate to it in a way. And maybe that's why we like it, because it's, you know, 
it's set in Long Island, but it's basically a working class community, you know, which is essentially what me and you yes. grew up in. You know, we're not, mm. not definitely not affluent communities, it's all very much blue collar workers. So you so you recognise these people in the show. You know, so they made that's yeah, something yeah. come from it as well. So season four, I think if you like season one, two and three, you'll enjoy season four for what it is. It definitely moves the story on, definitely moves the characters on a little bit and brings more scope to the world. Um, I've not seen the last two episodes, I don't know exactly, but I, do, you, do you foresee a season five? Do you think it's going to, is a scope to do a season five? Uh, oh, there's definitely scope for a season five. Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't take as long this time to get the job done. Hopefully they kind of, I almost hope, I almost kind of wish they would actually do two seasons at once in terms of like uh, recording it. Yeah. And then just bring them out maybe slightly later down the line I felt yeah. like between season three and season four it was quite a large gap I found you yeah. know um I think it's well because you binge it as well because you watch it all in one go it feels like you you watch it's all, you get excited for it to drop it drops then you watch it and that's it done you're like oh shit now I've got to wait whereas yeah. if it's released week to week you'd be like oh it's still I've, I've got I've got to wait for it mm, yeah yeah absolutely uh, okay I'll see say about it yeah it's just a good show both season yeah. just jollies the story on. Yeah, the yeah. overall show is excellent. This season, I'd probably say, is so far my. I don't know if it's the least favourite. I think they're all very. Season one is my standout scene, got to bring you all into the world. The rest of them, two, three, and four, seem very. They're all good, solid, seven, eight out of ten episodes. There's no real bad episode. They're all very funny, and they're all, they all done work. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Nice. Next week, we've got Amazon Prime. So we're Amazon Prime up next week, sir. Okay, Ooh. so in light of the last two weeks we've done films that are like a two and a half hours long, I specifically look for films that are <laughs> under two hours, just for our own, our own benefit more than anything else, you know, because I love a two and a half hour <laughs> film sometimes, but sometimes I want a 90 minute bad boy just, to, just so I can enjoy it in a short period of time. So, we've got <laughs> uh, Dating Amber, which is uh-huh. um, set in uh, Republic Island in the early 90s, about a guy and a girl who are gay. Who basically have to pretend to be dating each other in order to like have the family set because at that point in Ireland, I think homosexuality was still outlawed. They become each other's mm-hmm. deals. Apparently, it's very funny, getting really good reviews. Um, it's been um, with kind of on the same line as like sort of Derry Girls kind of humour. So, if you like Derry Girls, you might enjoy it. So, I'm actually quite, yeah. I've heard nothing but good, strong things about it. So, I'm looking forward to it. So, that's Dating Amber on Amazon Prime. We also have, I thought it was pronounced 7500, but it's not. It's apparently 7500, they're calling it. It's on Amazon. It's about it's all it's a sort of bottle episode of a, a film where it, a terrorist take over a plane, but it's all set in the cockpit of the pilot and the co-pilot trying to figure out what's going on. Oh, okay. So it's okay. a bit like that film Emma Locke, the one with um, yeah Tom Hardy, it's sort of um, in the car. It's sort of that kind of idea. Um, starring oh, Joseph, okay. starring Joseph Gordon Levitt, the guy from Third Rock of the Sun and Five Hundred. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's 7500. I'll send you a list so you have them. And also yep. Troop Zero is also on Amazon Prime, and it's all about the young girl going to a camp where she wants to be an astronaut. Oh, lovely. So, like I said, they're all under two hours, so that's that should make you nice and happy. It's nice, casual viewing this week. Nothing too, Thanks. Nothing too Thanks. heavy. Makes life a bit easier since I'm heading back to work on Monday. <laughs> yes. No TV shows, no 20 episode runs, just nice hour and a half long films to see to. Peruse at your leisure. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice one. Tell me where to find us. <laughs> uh, all the usual social media haunts Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Three Beers in a Movie. 
That's great. Barry, once again, thank you for joining. Always a pleasure, my man. So, you've been Barry, I've been Richard, and you've been listening to... Three beers in a movie.